All right, we come today to the end of our series we've been working on now for several weeks out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, this is kind of the summary of what I want to share with you from this portion of Scripture. It has to do with the word loyalty. Loyalty is kind of a vanishing virtue. I mean, it seems to me that years ago, people were a lot more devoted to one another, a lot more faithful to their commitments. But in our day, loyalty has given way to fickleness and self-centered interests. And, and this decline of loyalty is evident when you look at the business world. Employees deceive and terminate workers who've been with the company for years. Customers purchase according to the bottom line only, disregarding years of service. Employees have little sense of commitment to their employer. It's not uncommon for workers to change jobs 15 times during their lifetimes. Disloyalty is also evident in our citizenship. Patrick Henry once said, give me liberty or give me death. And that, that, that used to be an almost automatic response in America, a willingness to defend freedom. But I doubt that there's many who would willingly be able to or want to die for their country today. But it may be the decline of loyalty is most evident when it comes to the family. People used to enter marriage with the understanding it was a lifetime commitment. But today, many see marriages as a kind of a trial or error experiment. My needs aren't met to my satisfaction, then I'm out of here. I read of a husband who went to the nursing home three times a day to feed his wife who had had a stroke. And he did this every day for over two years. And when his wife died, someone commended him for his positive example of what it means to be loyal to a spouse in sickness and in health. And the guy seemed to be rather surprised that anyone would be impressed with that. And he said, well, 40 years ago, I made a promise that I'd be here for her when I married her. I'm not sure what kind of loyalty you know, I would have expressed if I had not faithfully been by her side. That kind of loyalty is not the norm today either, as you know. Our minister once said he had a young couple ask him to change the traditional wording of the wedding vows from as long as we both shall live. You wanted to change it to as long as we both shall love. Big difference. So as we come to this last message, how to love your neighbor as yourself, we've talked about a number of characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to talk about four final qualities of love, enduring love, this morning. The passage reads, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Now notice that repetition again, the word always. The message paraphrase puts it, love puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going all the way to the end. And if you really desire to love your neighbors yourself, these four qualities of love are absolutely essential to have lasting, meaningful relationships. And they're also qualities that describe Jesus Christ's relationship with us. So, so let's begin. Number one, love always protects. Love always protects. One time a guy was out fishing in a canoe along the shoreline of a wilderness lake. And up ahead he saw a, what looked to be a, an injured duck. 
And as he got closer, she was kind of flopping around, helpless in the water, you know. And every time he tried to get the canoe close to her, she would just, you know, be real agitated. And finally, all of a sudden, she just raised him out of the water, flapped those great big wings, and flew away. Wasn't anything wrong with her at all. But as the fisherman watched, it circled, the duck, circled back around and came back to where the, her nest was. And all she'd been doing was protecting some little ducklings and pretending to be injured to divert attention away from her babies. Love always defends that which is loved against harm. It seeks to safeguard the object of love, even if there's a risk to self. Now, of course, there's a, such a thing as being overly protective, and we've all witnessed Parents uh, who attempted to guard their children from every single struggle and deprive them of the challenges that are necessary for them to grow. Love doesn't mean we're excessively protective, but it does mean that you and I are alert to any realistic threat to the well-being of the ones that we care about, and we seek to prevent them from being harmed. All of us have seen that ad that friends don't let friends drive drunk. We've all seen that. You know that there's a friend you have and they're intoxicated, there's a danger to themselves, danger to others. So what do you do? You might take their keys away from them perhaps. Or it may even make, make them mad temporarily. But love always protects. Perhaps you've had a single friend and they become infatuated with someone that's, you know, you kind of know is absolutely the wrong person for them. And they begin to date, and you can see it more and more. This is not going to work well. It's going to end in spiritual and emotional disaster. So what do you do? Love will always protect. So you, you tactfully, you try to intervene, even at the risk of ruining the friendship. That's being loyal. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And if you just have kind of this syrupy spirit toward it all and say, oh, well, it's okay, and you endorse these things, you know, that's not being loving. It's not being loyal. That's being deceitful. When you see someone you care about getting involved in an activity that negatively impacts their spiritual life, love demands that you protect them. Maybe you've been consulting a fortune teller, or they know, you know, or maybe one time your friend's going out to the track all the time to bet on the horses or whatever. And in such cases, love does not just sit back and allow the one you care about to be harmed spiritually. Love always protects. Love has the courage to warn against spiritual danger. Love is loyal even when it becomes uncomfortable and risky to intervene. In the Old Testament, there was two characters, you may remember them, Jonathan and David. They were best friends. And Jonathan heard that his father, King Saul, was upset enough and was planning to kill David. So he warned David that this was going to happen. He said, do not come to this banquet tonight because the king is going to try to take your life. You have to flee. David and Jonathan realized their friendship would never be the same again. But loyalty is loving and it tells the truth. It was very protective. Jesus was protective of the disciples that he loved. And he spent three years fortifying these guys, preparing them for difficult, what he knew to be the difficult experiences they would one day go through. And he warned them, beware of the influence of the Pharisees, 
they will seek to destroy you. Watch out for greed. Beware of false prophets. Don't let anybody deceive you. And John 17, 15 says that just before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the enemy, the evil one. And verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And then you know what he did? He went to the cross to protect them and us from the consequences of sin. A loving father instinctively protects his child. Almost every young father has had that experience of standing by the crib and suddenly feeling an overwhelming sense of responsibility. This innocent child now is dependent upon me for provision and protection. And if there's any degree, any degree of character in this young father, suddenly there's an acceleration of the maturing process and he begins to think about such things as life insurance and a safer car with seat belts and smoke detectors at home and job security. And Christian fathers especially, we have a responsibility not only to protect our child physically, but we have a responsibility to protect them spiritually against all of the dangers of this world. Second Thessalonians 3, 3 reads, but the Lord is faithful. And what will he do? And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And if you're a faithful father, you're going to strive to protect your child from both physical and spiritual harm because Satan will attack them. We see all kinds of examples in the world to which we live today, all kinds of threatening temptations, all kinds of false philosophies. And if you don't really know that, then you're really not paying much attention to the culture in which we live. We are seeing this happen all the way and have been for a good while in the secular public schools of America. And if you love your child, you cannot send them out into a world without proper spiritual armor to enable them to be fortified against the wiles of Satan. And by the way, you're not protecting your child if you allow them unsupervised access to the Internet 24 hours a day. You are certainly not loving your child the way God loves you. We need to set up reasonable boundaries. We need to protect them from the fiery darts of the wicked one. And parents and grandparents, we've got to make sure we set a positive example for them. Make sure we take them to church on Sunday. Let them know the priorities. Saturate them with the Word of God. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear you sing and worship like we did earlier here this morning. Remind them of Psalm 32.7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Love always protects. And then number two, love always trusts. Love always. Now, this is not, this is not naive trust. The Bible's not saying that if you love somebody, you're gullible or easily uh, conned or anything. Sometimes the wisest and most loving thing you and I can do is be a little skeptical. Some of you know what I'm talking about in your household. When I was a teenager, both my parents worked outside the home. And they had a rule that if they were not home, I could not bring my girlfriend to the house. Can you imagine such an unfair rule? <laughs> and I would always protest. And I would say, don't you trust me? And they would say, no. <laughs> Some of you understand what I'm talking about. You, you know, you've had it said to you too. End of discussion. 
I wish I had known more scripture back then because I would have said, well, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love always trusts, you know. And they would have probably said, yes, but love also protects too. It's never being unfair or disloyal to challenge the excuses of others. Four students came into the classroom 30 minutes late for a test, and the teacher asked them, what, what, what's going on? Where you been? And they all said, well, we had a flat tire, and that's why we couldn't get here. And she said, well, that's understandable, but you missed the test. But then she said, well, that's okay. I, I've got a test. I'll give you one anyway, just one question. Each of you go to the four corners of this room, facing the corner, write on a piece of paper, which tire was flat. Yeah. You see, wisdom always recognizes that human beings are basically, well, in Kentucky we say ornery, ornery. No, we're, we're basically, you know, we're, we're, we're sinners. It's a big deal. Love gives the benefit of doubt until proven otherwise. Most of us have heard of Steven Spielberg. He's the popular pioneer of modern movie blockbusters and actually one of the most commercially successful directors of all time. It's amazing. Uh, he was once told, uh, or he once told that he uh, got a movie camera from his parents when he was in grade school. He wanted it so bad they finally bought it for him. His mother, though, was so trusting and tolerant of his creative leanings that she allowed him to put into, uh, put mashed potatoes into a pressure cooker and let it overheat until it exploded, just so he could capture it on film. Now, now that's, a, that's a really tolerant mother, I'll tell you that. He would go on to make some of the most creative movies in the history of all kinds of things you've seen. Remember, remember Jurassic Park, you know. Remember that all-time blockbuster that everybody loves to go watch over and over again? Jaws. Remember that? Yeah, the shark movie. Yeah, that was, he was responsible for that. And so, you know, big deal, you know. And, but the point is here is we all need somebody in our life that will trust us and believe in us when others don't. In fact, one of the surest ways to get along with people is to trust them. We just gravitate towards people who believe in us. You know, we need someone to come along with science and say, you know, you can do this. You can accomplish this. I have confidence in you. You can pull this off. Think about how trusting Jesus was of his disciples. Before he ascended into heaven, he said to these unschooled and sometimes faithless guys, he said, I want you men to take the gospel to the whole world. And then he left. Someone has suggested that when Jesus returned to heaven, the angels probably asked him, well, what's the backup plan? What's the alternative? I mean, you really, you know, your disciples fell asleep all the time, and, and, and they've been known to argue among themselves as who's the greatest and all this sort of thing. And so, Lord, what's the backup plan? And Jesus said, no, there is no backup plan. I'm counting on them. That's an amazing a bit of confidence. Now, I want to speak to the guys here for just a moment. This is the kind of loyalty that's characteristic of a good father. One of the worst sins a father can make is to be distrustful of those in his household and those that are under his watch, always accusing his children to... You know, of the worst, always being suspicious. When really they need a father who trusts, not, not naively, but believes the best 
one who inspires us to give our best because love always trusts. And then love always hopes, number three. Love always hopes. One paraphrase puts it this way. Love always expects the best. Love is always hoping for the best in people. Love always wants the others to do well. If you love people, you don't rejoice over bad things that happen to them. And verse 6 of our text says, Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And if you really genuinely care about loving your neighbor as yourself, that's been the focus of this entire series, then you're going to have to find out how to, to support and encourage. You want to eliminate envy in your life, diminish criticism, because you're going to be hoping for the best. You automatically become an encourager, and oh, we all need those in our life. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I'll tell you the truth. A genuine encourager seldom lacks friends. They always seem to have friends. But a constant critic is often a very lonely person. Think of all the times Jesus hoped for the best in his followers. He said to inconsistent Peter, he said, you know, you're going to be solid as a rock. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. He said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, you know, I forgive you. You go and and sin no more. I expect better of you. He once said to a Roman centurion who came requesting the healing of his servant. In fact, this man said, Lord, you don't even need to come. All you have to do is just, just say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus said, you know, I, I've not witnessed such great faith in all of Israel. See how encouraging the Lord was? And again, especially guys, a good father, we hope for the best. We encourage our family. And we want our kids to, yeah, be popular and successful. And at times we can hardly restrain ourselves from bragging about their accomplishments. That happens. One father tells of his time as a kid. He was playing basketball for the very first time. And he didn't quite know all the rules. And somebody passed in the ball. And everybody kind of gets in the excitement of the moment. He, he shot the ball. And it went in. But it was the wrong basket. And his dad, everybody groaned except his dad who stood up and said, that's my boy, that, that's my boy, you know. Every child needs a father who loves him enough to hope for the best, even when things are not exactly working out the right way. And children need fathers also who hope for that best and encourage them no matter how old they get to be. The prodigal son treated his dad terribly. Remember that? Treated him terribly, wanted out of the house, wanted to, went out to a far country, wasted his father's money, lived a wild life, embarrassed his dad's integrity. But when the prodigal son came back home, the father, who must have been watching, he saw him coming. You know why? Love always, always hopes for the best. And he ran out to meet that boy. He demanded no detailed explanation. He demanded no apology. He just said, welcome home. Love always hopes. And you know, by the way, if you had a dad like that, you'd be grateful. Let him know why you can. Maybe he needs to know you hope for the best for him, too. And maybe your dad didn't get it right all the time, but, you know, maybe he wasn't perfect. 
Maybe he didn't know how to express emotions. I had to wait to my dad's funeral to hear from his co-workers how proud that he was of his only son. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And then lastly, love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. You know what that means? That means love stays the course. Love stays true through difficult times. And you and I should be especially, especially grateful for those friendships that have been long friendships. This past week, I had breakfast with a friend of mine from Morgan County. Gary and I have been friends for over 30 years. And I'm sure the waitresses probably thought we hadn't talked to each other for 30 years either. <laughs> but we stayed there, and, and, uh, and, uh, and love always pays the tip. Did you all know that? <laughs> always covers the tip. But unless you're satisfied with service relationships, I mean, if you and I are going to get along with other people, there has to be perseverance to our love. There's got to be a serious approach to it. There needs to be deliberate effort to nurture and cultivate relationships through the good times as well as difficult times. You know, you also have to endure hurts sometimes, disappointments that occur when you enter in relationships, especially with others. But the bottom line is this. Love does not easily give up, especially when it comes to people. It stays with the mate when they have a stroke. It stays with the father who struggles with alcoholism. It stays with the son or the daughter who've been sojourning in a far country. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. And then he lists some other qualities that are not going to last. He says, where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. There would come a time in the history of the church, which we've already seen this, when God would no longer give the supernatural ability to foretell the future. He did this at one time because it was the early days of the church. They were in the infancy stage. There was a time when it talks about tongues, that they'll be stilled. There'll come a time in church history when the supernatural ability to speak in a language you've never studied, you know, would be gone because you didn't need it anymore. The gospel message would be communicated in different ways. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. And when the scriptures were completed and translated in the language of the world, the supernatural revelation from God to man directly would no longer be needed because we had the Word of God. Think of all the languages of the world that, that we have scripture. Paul's suggesting that these other gifts that we talk about, just temporary things, kind of like vitamins for the church that was young, kind of get them up and going. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put those childish things aside. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Never ever forget that the love of Jesus was a persevering love. Even though Thomas doubted him, Peter denied him, Judas betrayed him, the love of God stayed faithful. And he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 38, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers... Any of those, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our love, our Lord. 
His love perseveres always. And the loyal love of a Christian believer endures to the end. Christian parent doesn't easily give up on his or her children any more than God gives up on you and me. A loyal Christian friend is someone who walks in when everybody else walks out. Love always perseveres. And if you and I ever hope to love our neighbors, and you, can, you have a mental picture of who this person might even be. Maybe somewhere that, so not physically your neighbor, but somebody at work. Someone you know. It could be a family member. Kind of a broad term, actually. But we need to be sensitive to who is God placing in your space for you to be Jesus and you to be godly just to help them move along the way. Wow. He always trusts. He doesn't infringe on our freedom to will. He always protects. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear. He always hopes. He desires that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he always perseveres. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And if we ever aspire to love our neighbors like that, then that's what we have to do. I ran across an illustration. I hope I can find it in all these papers here. Well, I don't think I have it. Tracy, you didn't steal anything out of my Bible, did you? No, here it is. I got you right here. You wouldn't do that anyway. This was, this was in Runner's World magazine back in 1991. It tells a story of a woman named Beth Ann DeSantis. And it tells about her, her attempt to qualify for the 1992 Olympics trials of marathon. In order to do this, the female runner must complete 26 miles, uh, 385-yard race. And it's got to be done less than two hours, 45 minutes to compete in the Olympics. Now, think about the, the timing here. It's 26 miles, 385 yards, and you've got to get it done as fast as you possibly can. It's got to be done in less than two hours, 45 minutes, and she started strong, really strong, in fact. But she had trouble around mile number 23. She reached the final straightaway at, with 243 to go, and uh, uh, yard, 200 yards from the finish, and she stumbled. She was dazed. She got stayed down for 20 seconds, and then she, crowd kept yelling, get up, get up, the clock's ticking. And it was 2.44, but now it's only less than a minute to go. And so Beth Ann staggered to her feet and began walking. Five yards short of the finish, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. And she began to crawl. And the crowd cheered her on and crossed, crossed the finish line on her hands and knees. Her time was two hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. She qualified by three seconds. Can you imagine that? Hebrews 12.1 reminds us to run our race with perseverance. Stay the course. Don't give up. Never give up. How that's important to us, especially as we look into the future. So I want to read this verse, and then we'll close. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore... Pay attention now. Since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance 
the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. And even though we don't always get it right, don't always measure up to what the Lord intends, His love just keeps coming. He will not forget you. He will not forsake you. His love will not let us go. His love came to this earth. His love died on that cross for our sins. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We are so, 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 so blessed. I look around this room and I see all these folks and they've gathered in this place today because they believe in you. They believe that your word is true. They believe that the truth that needs to to infect our world is the truth that comes from you, not the lies that come from Satan. And Lord, at a time right now where our country is having to deal with things that are unbelievable, we pray, Father, that you will help us be agents of love, that we will persevere, trust, hope for the best, and believe as we should all believe, that greater is he that's in this world, and greater is he that's in this world. Help us, Father, recognize the strength that you have. And it's not in Satan. It's not in the things of this world. Greater love hath no man than lay down his life for another. And help us as we go forward now. A lot of changes coming, a lot of neat things happening. But Lord, help us never forget that it's time, the time will come for us to stand firm, hope the best, and practice these wonderful passages about love found in 1 Corinthians 13. Thank you for loving us, Father. Thank you for staying the course. Thank you for showing us the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.